You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Today, my guest is a dear old friend, Mr. Tim Brown of Elway. Uh, We have had the pleasure of playing with Elway since before they were Elway, and I have been able to call Tim a good friend for over a decade. Their new album, The Best of All Possible Worlds, comes out on April 1st via Red Scare Industries, our alma mater. Uh, Right now, you can check out the new single, Maximum Entropy, where... One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Wherever you damn well please, wherever you can stream anything. Uh, they'll be touring this July with an incarnation of our brother band, The Holy Mess. Turns out that the show that they play in Philadelphia is actually going to be the day before the beginning of my bachelor party. So I think that technically we'll have to start it uh, on that day. So Tim is a brilliant man uh, with a lot to say, and I enjoyed talking to him so very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Here's my conversation with Tim Brown. Tim, thank you so much, my friend, for joining me. Uh, I feel like I haven't seen you or talked to you in too long, even though we were just out there in October for those shows together. It was a fucking blast. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Right? Hell yeah. So I was hoping to kick it right off the bat. If you could take us back 
a what a decade or so ago and tell us the story of what it was like when you went to Russia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, it was a decade ago. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it was uh, September of September of 2012, and we were uh, touring. Um, in Europe with a band called All Aboard and another band called Leagues Apart. Um, yeah, we, but uh, I think Leagues Apart was just on the like UK bit of it. Um, and sure. uh, but so we played a show in my, in uh, Berlin, and then the next day we were uh, flying from Berlin to Riga, Latvia, and then to Saint Petersburg to play some shows in Russia. Um, I had just been in Europe earlier in the year uh, playing drums in a band called Nothington. And uh, we uh, played in Russia and I made a whole bunch of friends. Um, thought it was great. I'm also like a bit of a, uh, a Russophile. I like Russian literature. That was actually my next question I was going to ask. Is like, you've been to Europe so many times, so many tour stories. I, I wonder if you consider yourself a bit of a Russophile or, or, or Germanophile a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, I do, I do like, uh, German, Russian, and Czech literature. Um, I'm really a fan of. I'm really a big fan of like uh, Soviet brutalist artwork as well. And uh, yeah. so, when in Moscow, we went and saw all the Seven Sisters and the and uh, all these train stations. We went to the Bulgakov Museum, which is the apartment and that was with uh, when you went with Nothington. Yeah, that was when we went with Nothington. But then, uh, I mean, I dragged everybody uh, <laughs> back to all of these places when Elway was there too, because nice. Um, um, always a little bit more of a nerdy band than nothing did. So people were way more willing that where it was yeah. way more of a, <laughs> I had to drag people around with nothing. To yeah. It, but um, that kind of makes sense. I absolutely love, just side note, love the fact of how nerdy uh, you and the, and everybody in LA is. It's like a, you know, uh, a good friend of ours, Chris, um, who came out and did sound for us when Dave wasn't able to come at the end of the pandemic refers to people like us as sign readers. As you stop at every, you know how in Philly there's like a million, and in every city there's like historical signs. We always stop and read them. So yeah, you guys are definitely a bunch of sign readers. Oh yeah, we like to have the names and dates, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, so Elway, I made friends with the promoters and everything. And uh, when Elway came over for the first time that year, uh, we booked uh, five shows in Russia and uh, flew into St. Petersburg. The show was, oh no, you know what? I'm sorry, I got it back. I got it backwards. We flew to Moscow first. Ah, okay. Um, and then, uh, so we played a show uh, the night that we got in in Moscow and it was fucking awesome. It was the, it was the five year anniversary of our first band practice ever. Damn, wow, uh, five years you go from playing and I assume somewhere in Colorado Springs or Denver and then to fucking Moscow. <laughs> I was, uh, we we started practicing in Joe's in Joe's bedroom uh, in in Fort Collins. In Fort uh, Collins, yeah, sorry, Fort Collins. Damn. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so it was our. We realized it was the day that we uh, you know all uh, did our first practice, and uh, that it was a fucking awesome show. Um, drank a whole bunch and and got handed some. Got handed a, a bag of contraband I, that I didn't know what it was, but a guy was like, "Here, you take this. It gets you high." Um, <laughs> Do you and- remember those stories? Maybe like 10, 15 years ago about uh, what do they call it? Green dragon? Maybe there was like all these oh, reports. Oh, oh no, cro- crocodile. Crocodile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean a that that. Just- <laughs> Yep. That loomed large in my head. I, I was thinking about crocodile, or uh, but so or crocodile. Yeah, for anybody who's unfamiliar, we're, they used to talk about crocodile as this uh, or crocodile or something as this uh, 
met a drug that you snorted that would cause all kinds of like you know zombie like episodes like meth on meth and and, like people's skin peeling off and shit like that yeah uh so (laughs) with that in mind i mean i accepted the bag because he said it got you high but (laughs) but it was it wasn't uh it wasn't uh to be snorted he was you you like put it in your lip like uh like chewing tobacco or whatever right yeah and uh but i was like i was not i was i was too uh too afraid to actually do it. So we, the, the, after the show, we go back to our friend Posh's apartment. Um, and he like made us dinner. He's a super nice guy. And uh, I was like, Hey, so this guy gave me this uh, bag of drugs. Do you know what this is? And uh, he goes, Oh, you cannot take that. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, so, so basically everybody who is in the Russian army, right. They, yeah. uh, they hang around, but they also are just kind of like farmers when they're not invading Ukraine, you know? Yeah, that's they, one of the narratives that's really prevalent in uh, our media right now is you have these kids in the Russian army that are being captured um, testifying on television. And the commenters are saying that their dialect is like, you know, our, like Alabama to us or something. Like something that people wouldn't be that familiar with Ukraine would be more likely to you know, do that. Yeah, for sure. So the so these guys are like they're they're at a military base, but also they're growing their own food at the military base, you know? Uh wow. like they they tent they have animals and they and they grow crops and stuff. Damn. Uh so uh one of the things that they do is grow tobacco um to smoke, but uh in this case, they take tobacco and they have these chickens that they just feed tobacco. <laughs> and and uh so <laughs> There's an enzyme in the chicken's stomach that does something or other to the tobacco, and then the chickens shit out the shit out the tobacco, and then you're meant to put it in your lip, and it's like a stimulant. Uh, and uh, that's what this bag was: is a bag of chicken shit. No uh, way! <laughs> that I, I had in my pocket all that's night. That's fucking insane. And uh, so I didn't take it. I, I I threw it away because I'm too uh, chicken shit. <laughs> uh, that, to take what's that uh, word where the something means the same <laughs> yeah two uses. Uh, wow that's yeah. fucking hilarious it's a homonym homonym yeah, that's it, what it homonym yes it, that, uh, one time i was at, uh, at the italian market and we had just gotten a um like a community garden spot and they were selling tobacco plants for like two dollars and we did this square foot gardening method and we had like two squares left and i was like oh i wonder what it'd be like if i just planted this little tobacco plant it's only two bucks isn't that funny and i planted them and they both grew to like seven or eight feet tall in the Holy community shit. garden well, you're, tobacco. you're halfway there you got to get a chicken or two got to get a chicken feed it and then eat the chickens uh shit yeah. yeah. Um, Did you say what happens when you eat the chicken shit? It, it's, it's a, apparently it's like you a dip like it like a, tobacco. Yeah, it's sure like it's a stimulant. Like a hazing thing. Well, I see. I don't know. Um, I <laughs> I do remember at one point googling it. And it has a name, uh, but I you know I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'll uh, I'll see if I can. I'll I'll splice it in here if I if I if I look it up and find it. Okay, that's so, fucking crazy. So, so this is night one in Russia. Yeah, night one yeah. is great. Um, night two. Uh, we, uh, it was Joe's birthday. It was Joe's, uh, 25th birthday. I think it was Joe's 25th birthday. Oh no, it was his 24th birthday. Okay. So, uh, and we're playing, uh, we were supposed to be playing in a town called Vladimir. It's like 600 kilometers 
east of Moscow. Um, and the show got canceled and mm. moved to another town called Kovrov, which is like a very small town. Kovrov, by the way, the Russian word for carpet, um, wow. because a lot of the towns out there are named after what they made. Sure. Um, and so we get to the we get to the the bar in Kavrov uh, after a, there's like a guy that we hired to drive us because we were taking trains all over Russia. Um, yeah, maybe we can and- stop that for a second. So typically we are touring um, in a van. Um, we've been fortunate enough to be able to tour in a bus in Europe, uh, which is actually easier and cheaper to do than in the United States. Go figure. But uh, normally you're riding around a van. You have all of your equipment. You borrow all of the amps and like the drum shells and symbols of somewhere around there. You have all your gear with you. But you guys are in Russia and you're traveling by train. So yeah. what are you showing up the show using um, other bands backline situation? Oh, yeah. So uh, all, our van with all of the gear that we had rented uh, was in Berlin. And yeah. so we flew to Russia and we just had our guitars. Funny, another funny story. Uh, my guitar got left at the, at the airport in Riga when I checked it. And so Jeez. I didn't have my guitar the entire time <laughs> I was in Russia. So I was borrowing some of the most ghastly guitars you could imagine. Dude, I can, what, like just for the nerds, uh, myself included, what, 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 who, what kind of guitars do they play? Uh, were they playing 10 years ago? The only brand name I recognized was a rogue which is like the squire of squire yeah that was the squire so fender had squire as their cheap uh kind of economical brand i'll call it and rogue i think was the gibson economical brand oh was it gibson if i, I have th- it correctly yeah i mean it, it looked a whole lot like a stratocaster i don't remember there i mean i didn't play a nice guitar the entire time I, and i had to like have some very difficult conversations with people at the airport who did not understand me and yeah. uh you know, uh, I eventually I grabbed my guitar when we got back from Russia. It was waiting at Teagle in Berlin in a pile of other bags uh, that were yeah. like lost. But I no got shit. It. That's crazy. Oh, also, side note, Rogue uh, was not made by Gibson. It was manufactured in South Korea. It's the house brand for a musician's friend. That's why those were around when we were younger. Oh, well, yeah. uh it was a lovely guitar. It got me through. <laughs> it got me through uh, a set. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so you guys are day two. You have to move the show. You're traveling around by train, carrying the guitars around. So that's what I wanted to get to and ask you about was how did you just roll into Russia with instruments? Well, I mean, we we flew. Yeah, and they didn't ask like you know for the visa situation or. Uh, well, the, uh, funnily enough. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, they did ask about the visa situation. I mean, when <laughs> when we showed up, we just we had the guitars. There's like, you're not going to sell these guitars, right? We're like, no. And they're like, okay, well, it's your possession. And uh, we had visas that we went to the Russian consulate in San Francisco and then paid a bunch of money for our visas. Oh, no shit. Hello. Yeah, you have to go in person to a consulate. You can't yeah. mail it in or anything. And you got to give them your passport. Yeah, there's a couple uh, 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 countries that have that relationship with the United States. Specifically, I know for Brazil, we had to mail our passports in, and then they print out a really fancy visa. Instead of just stamping the passport, they print like a thing that has your picture attached to it with other information, you know, in Portuguese, and Russians do something similar. Yeah, Russia is the same thing. It takes up an entire page of your of your uh, passport. Like, yeah. it's a big sticker that just goes over the whole page. So we had our visas. They didn't ask any questions because we were just like, it's our guitars. We have guitars. We didn't yeah. tell them that we were playing shows, um, <laughs> and they didn't ask any questions. Uh, that's important for later. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh 
Yeah, so we were taking trains all over, but there is no train from Moscow to Kovrov directly. Uh, and so we hired a, a just a regular guy to drive us. Um, and uh, our promoter, Dima, hired him. We were just, it was like an older guy, and he drove us without saying a goddamn thing for six hours. <laughs> and um, it's like, like a Russian guy from Craigslist. He just sit there silent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. He just like, I, he didn't understand English. I don't think at all. And yeah. like, Lord knows none of us speak Russian. Um, uh, and so we drive all the way out to Kovrov and it's like a tiny town. Like, I, I don't know how many people live there, like 5,000 or something, but, yeah. um, so we're, we're, we show up to the bar at, that we're going to be playing at. There's like kids outside hanging out and drinking, uh, like 10 kids. We're like, Hey, cool. Whatever. Amazing. Punks. And uh, they kind of speak English. We're like friends. We're making friends with them and stuff and drinking vodka in like a building that is behind the bar that was bombed during World War II that is like still, still. just a pile of bricks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Garrett goes to like take a piss in this empty lot right next to this bombed out building and like a dude in like camo fatigues comes up and like kicks him in the ass while he's pissing because he's <laughs> trespassing. And um <laughs> uh we we go into the we go into the bar and it's like a fucking the waiting room of a dentist's office is what it looks like it's like white white tile and like everything's very like not bar like bunch of really harsh fluorescent lighting there is a inexplicably a full suit of armor in the bar (laughs) Uh, (laughs) of course there is very strange, uh, but we like loaded and stuff, and then we were just like, okay, loaded in. The show starts at nine, so we're just gonna go back outside to hang out with our new friends that we met. Go back outside, and uh, there's like four uh, like green like military jeeps uh, parked right out front, and there's like eight cops. Uh, the cops just wear like fatigues in uh rural russia apparently and they all have uh fucking ak-47s or uh, ak-74s or whatever and so we're like well what the fuck's going on here uh and i was like can we not drink on the sidewalk and then they're like no the cops drink on the sidewalk that's not why they're here um <laughs> and so they so they were just there to see what was going on because this is the only thing going on in Kovrov that day and uh turns out that american bands uh bands in general don't come to Kovrov very often uh so i don't know whatever i would imagine not yeah was the promoter from there or something the promoter was the same guy who he was from vladimir which is nearby okay so Uh, you wonder why he picked Kovrov? maybe he got run out of vladimir well, no, it was, I mean, like, there was a show in Vladimir and it got canceled. So they moved. Oh, truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, this must've just been like a last minute, like, Hey, the, our buddies in the suit of armor bar in Kavrov, but they're willing to put on the show. Uh, just, uh, I know the cops are here and you're getting ready for it. Just to give a little context of Kavrov and pull it up a little bit. Uh, hotels are averaging three stars for an average of $6 a night. That's, uh, what just oh. pulled up there <laughs> and, uh, the other information and how big it is and, all the old architecture, yeah, it looks looks like a tiny wild ass place. Six dollars or twenty million rubles. <laughs> well, right now, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. uh, a Weimar Germany. So, sorry. You, you guys are out drinking on the sidewalk. You got three, uh, you know, s- Russian military surplus now police used vehicles with a bunch of fatigued police officers holding '80s Cold War movie guns. 
Yep, absolutely. I mean, it was <laughs> so like, you know, your average uh, Elway show, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, so we so we play the show i can't even remember what the openers are like it's like a hardcore band or something and uh we play the show and it's super fun there's a great a bunch of great pictures from that night somewhere uh it's like sweaty and fucking crowd surfers and it was fucking gnarly it was a good time um we finished the show and we're like hanging out at the merch or whatever talking to people just bullshitting uh and uh our promoter Dima comes up to us just like white as a sheet. And he's like, uh, you guys have to go right now, get all of your stuff and go out the back door and meet at the van as fast as you can. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so we're like, and I mean, like if you could have seen the look on his face, Tom, I mean, he, he looked like he had seen, uh, you know, a ghost. Oh yeah, but, and that's uh, like the fucking. It doesn't happen often, but you are in another country, and this this particular situation, you guys are in Russia, which is so culturally far from the United States in a, in a lot of ways, and you are in the arms of a person that's taking care of you. You always have like a. We could probably like journalists call them fixers and shit, but for us, it's like the guy or the girl, the one that like speaks the language, uh, helps you with the cultural differences you know, bridges the gaps. And then when you see that person lose their shit or like fall out, you're like, Oh my God, my, all of my comfort and sense of security is gone. (laughs) Exactly. And, and I mean, the stories of, uh, well, the pussy riot thing had just happened as well. Uh, and, uh, we had heard about, uh, we'd heard like a horror story about strike anywhere's uh, promoter or manager or something, uh, getting like, I don't know, roughed up or even murdered or something in Russia. I, I, I don't I exactly forget what remember. the story was, but I remember that at the time. And Lemuria but, had a story around then. Uh, there was a bunch he, of, yeah, you heard the crazy shit. Dead to me had crazy stories. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, uh, we knew that the time for fucking around and getting drunk was through. And so we <laughs> grabbed all of our stuff and, and went to the van out the back door of the bar to be like, all right, well, the cops are out front. We'll go out back and then we'll be able to miss them entirely. And then we'll just drive away. We get in the van and all of the cops surround the van and uh, all the Russian, uh, you know, pseudo paramilitary police. <laughs> yes. All the, all the like Russian version of Blackwater uh, guys <laughs> <laughs> surround the van. And then there, uh, there are two, there are two like detectives there now that are like plainclothes cops. Uh, yeah. the they're both like, Oh yeah. They're so, okay. It's important to take an aside and note that both of these guys were like, dimes they were fucking hot as shit it was it, like <laughs> i mean one of them looked just like colin farrell and the other one was like a russian daniel craig i, I mean it was like <laughs> it felt like we were on a prank show but uh so now feeling in danger and, and like slightly scaredly horny uh they told us like we we had to go like we we're being detained you know we had to go yeah. to jail <laughs> <laughs> and so uh in, was it in english like a broken english like <laughs> yeah well th- so they d- couldn't speak english really at all they knew like a yeah. couple words and they told dima our promoter and he's telling us like and he's talking to the driver who is pissed by this point uh like what do- what do you mean we can't leave gotta go to jail like we have to go and like inspect your visas or whatever and we're like uh-huh. uh okay so <laughs> so they take us to jail and the fucking driver guy just goes and waits in the parking lot of the jail. 
<laughs> There's something comforting about that. Yeah, well, I mean, he <laughs> has to. Going like, along. That's so we, Russian. He's just going along with, you know, like whatever <laughs> wildly authoritarian bureaucratic thing is going on. He's just like, well, I guess I'll just wait. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I already got paid. So, yeah. uh, or no, maybe, maybe it's because he didn't get paid. Yeah. Yet. I don't know. Second half of the cash or something. Yeah. Yeah. And we were literally six hours from Moscow. So, I mean, Jesus. Uh, okay. Well, so we go to the jail. And then, long story short, our visas are not. Uh, working visas like we we you need to get a special more expensive visa so that you can make money in in russia and i mean like we're making like the equivalent of i don't know 250 dollars a show yeah it's not like make money that's like the yeah i mean we we lost money to go to moscow it's like expensive to fly there and get the visas and do everything we did it because we kind of just wanted to go to museums and shit but yeah absolutely. uh but so they give us the old school like we're there all fucking night too like they one by one bring us into the like interrogation room and then using dima as a translator like ask us if we're like there to sing about politics and all this shit we're just we're just like, no, dude, the most of the songs are about girls. And they're all fucking shrouded in metaphors anyway. Like nobody knows or gives a shit. No one's going to throw a brick at you because yeah. of something that I said in a song, <laughs> um, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess never say never. But uh, we, so that we're there all night. They do the old school ink roller thing and fingerprint us. And, they, and they're like. <laughs> With, that well, went into an analog filing system. And like yeah, right. Yeah. So, and they're like, uh, so we need to send your fine. Like a judge is going to need to look at this in the morning and then we'll send your fine to you, but we can't send it internationally. You have to uh, send it to somebody in Russia. And so we called our friend, uh, our friend Pasha back in Moscow. And we're like, can we get your address? They're going to send a fine and he's gives them the address, whatever. We finally leave at like six in the morning. The driver just been sleeping in the front seat of the van the whole night. <laughs> and, uh, and then got up and drove us six hours to Moscow, uh, where we had a second show that night. Wow. Uh, Joe turned 24 years old in a jail. That was cool. Um, <laughs> in a Russian jail, in a Russian jail. Yeah. And then we get back to Moscow and, uh, uh, the pa- uh, Pasha's like, uh, I was like, Hey man, well, I'll just like give you, I'll PayPal you the money or whatever. Just tell me what the fines are and I'll pay them. And he's like, Oh, I gave them fake address. Never give Russian police your real address. <laughs> so, so, so I guess I'll never go back to Russia. Probably. Yeah, uh, probably. Well, we'll see. But, but but we, that's, and then, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And then spent three more magical days violating the terms of our visa playing in St. Petersburg and stuff and had been flying back. Man, Pretty what a cool. fucking great story. I remember when you first told me that story, I was like, are you serious? You went to some tiny ass town uh, in Russia, dealt with like the equivalent of hillbilly police officers, had to go to jail in Russia. Like the whole thing is just so fucking wild. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's definitely one to tell the grandkids, right? <clears throat> definitely. All right. So you've been a person who has moved. So, you know, I can ask you lots of questions about Elway and everybody wants to hear it. And, you know, the new record is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it is, you know, Sounds so good. You guys worked on it so hard. I know as we had hung out out in Colorado, you told me how much time you spent during the pandemic recording it. But I got to ask you, you've lived such an interesting life. I got to have so many questions to ask you. Like you've been, you've moved all over the country. Um, What was it like the first time that you just picked up and left and how far did you go? Well, I mean, like I was raised in Colorado and uh, then went to college and Colorado and then kind of decided after we started touring and seeing places that I was like, I kind of want to 
I want to move. I want to like expand my horizons or whatever. Uh, and, and moved to Chicago. Um, and was there for a couple of years. Um, yeah. I mean, really though, most of that time that I lived in Chicago, like I never had a job really in Chicago. I, I initially got a job there at Planned Parenthood and, uh, worked there until I had to go on a long enough tour that they wouldn't let me come back. So in what capacity at Planned Parenthood? You were a phlebotomist, right? Wasn't it? Uh, no, I, I was, uh, a, okay. I was like a, a, a medical assistant, basically. That's the job that I had in Fort Collins as well before I moved to Chicago. Okay. Um, yeah. so I got a job in Chicago, then worked there until it was time to say like, Hey, we are playing 120 days in a row and I'm going to need some time off. And then basically telling me like, well, you got to fucking hit the bricks <laughs> and then so most of the time that i was in chicago i was uh i was touring all over the place and um so i didn't have a whole lot of time to get acclimated to the city but i do i did love living there and like i don't know i kind of feel like everybody should move out of their like hometown at least once sure. in their life you know because uh there's something to being like well uh it's tuesday night and i don't have any friends here <laughs> and uh or the friends that i do have aren't doing anything and i gotta figure out how to like be a person for a bit yeah absolutely i've actually come back around i think to the you know something that i, I contribute to just like the wisdom of being older uh the idea i always thought you had to leave your hometown and that was like a, the, the only way that you can have a, a fulfilling measurable interesting life of success and things like that but i've realized as i've gotten older that you don't have to. Co college serves a great purpose of giving somebody a time away to become themselves. And I think that everybody should definitely travel. But I'm starting to see so many people who I knew from growing up in northeastern Pennsylvania that are doing incredible things there and building like a, you know, really strong uh, sense of community and starting businesses and uh, or just, you know, not being addicted to opioids and like fulfilling <laughs> the same cycles that destroyed, uh, uh, you know, friends and family for so many years. But uh, yeah, man, it's a, you, you definitely you moved to Chicago. You lived in Philadelphia. You spent so much time as I have on the road. Um, I was trying to nitpick between different European stories and which ones would be safe to tell the, that you have because you spent so much time <laughs> there. Um, but I would like to flip it back to um, spare your time in Chicago. Uh, hold on, let me I'll edit this real quick. Grab this. Oh, yeah. So the worst question that getting asked as we do press and stuff is about band names, but you guys have a particularly great story about the name Elway that I'm not sure if uh, all the listeners are familiar with. I was hoping you could tell me that story. And actually it comes from uh, Scott Bell's way he framed it. The question to ask you was, why did you just not pay John Elway for the rights? <laughs> I mean, like he doesn't own his own last name, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, you know, like there's that band May, you know, do they, <laughs> do they owe you yeah. that. I mean, you should look into it. Um, exactly. But how? so I remember seeing <laughs> hearing you on ESPN was one of the funniest fucking things uh, uh, possible. So how did that start? How did you find out that? Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, John Elway was upset that you guys used the name Elway as your band yeah. and you had to respond to it. How did you find out he was pissed? Um. So we, so we were, um, in, in Toronto on tour and I was, we were at sneaky D's playing at sneaky D's and, uh, nice. I like grabbed Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. 
big shout out to Sneaky D's. Um, we uh, it was like the first time that we had Wi-Fi in Canada, and back in that in that day, I was like a broke ass who could not possibly imagine the idea that I could have data in a place. Not to mention this is like. I don't know. I didn't have a smartphone. I had a flip phone. So I, it was the first time this in a couple of days because we'd been in Canada that I could like sit down and read my email and catch up on stuff. And I yeah. uh, saw an email from a lawyer uh, <laughs> representing John Elway. <laughs> and, and, it, and it was you like who the lawyer was. No, but I'll, See I'll, bet I could, I'll bet I could find that if I just look at <laughs> my email. I mean, I got to go back really far because this was 2011 uh, yeah. that this happened. What well, you know? What I will, I will, I'll look it up. I'll look it up later. Sure. Yeah. No sweat. But, but so you get an uh, email from a lawyer, and what did it say? It was like a. It, was, it had an attached like PDF with like on his letterhead or whatever. Um, it was not a cease and desist, but okay. it was like a, a document that was like John Elway had become aware of our band existing because of a, on uh, uh, an article in the Westward, just like the daily uh, or the weekly, like arts and culture mag here. In nice. Like, a, like the Metro chain that's in a lot of major cities and stuff. Like yeah. That. Like red eye or whatever in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so apparently he'd become aware and he wanted us to, uh, respond to this letter with a time frame, a reasonable time frame within which we would be changing the band name was the way that it was, <laughs> was it was phrased. Uh, and, I mean, mind you, we had just, just put out like a few weeks ago. It was like the release date for our record. And so we had somewhere on earth, there was a thousand records that said Elway on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we had just changed our band name like a year and a half prior. And we were like, huh, well, this is fucked. And uh, I, I remember like calling Toby on my phone. It was like roaming. Remember the like little like triangle that said you were roaming on a flip yeah, phone? Yeah, in Canada, you're always connected to some fucking goofy Can- – well, you know, not to disparage the Canadians, but some goofy Canadian network like Rogers, or, like, the French <laughs> one. Yeah. 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 So I, I was pretty sure – AT&T or T-Mobile. It's just like yeah. – Yeah, I was like, Vodafone. well – yeah, exactly. This is going to cost me $6 a minute or something. Uh, uh, but I need to call Toby Jig, uh, the, the runs Red Scare. Uh, and I needed to be like, uh, well, what the fuck do we do here? Uh, because I don't know. I needed an adult. I, I mean, like, you know, I, I, oh, yeah. and so uh, Toby was like, oh, man, I was like freaking out. I didn't know. I was young and naive. I was like, I, man, I don't know. This is fucked up. Like, I don't have any money. And I don't know anyone who's a lawyer who's going to want to represent a fucking bunch of drunks. Uh, <laughs> and, Versus uh, John Elway, one of the most yeah. famous NFL uh, you know players of all time. Yeah, who just has like uh, who even knows the kind of the caliber of lawyer that he has. But so freaking out, and then uh, it was Brendan uh, Brendan Kelly from Lawrence Arms who was like. You don't you need to calm down. You don't understand the gift that you've just been given. Oh yeah. And uh, so I was like, well, what do I do? It's like, just like write up a thing and then have punk news release it or whatever. (laughs) And so I like, I like wrote up a thing about how like, it's hilarious that he, you know, would choose to try to like bully a punk band when he like, can't even get the fucking Broncos whipped into shape or whatever. (laughs) Uh, It's like, 
Maybe he's, you know, like he's definitely the caliber of guy who would leave his wife while she has cancer for a Raiders cheerleader. Oh, is that, did he do that? That is, yeah, that's, that's the lore. That's, Damn. That's, that's fucked yeah, up. That's, yeah, well, I mean, he's like. I a, wonder how deep it was. Like, was he just, you know, a picture, here's my picture going down. He's like, for some reason, in the kitchen and he has the refrigerator door open and he's like drinking, I don't know breast milk that he bought on like the black market <laughs> and somebody like his kid's friend mentions that you know they've read the article about it and he gets so upset that he like text messages his lawyer and then they're all like really we gotta fucking text all these kids and all this shit that or it just enraged him see I well i me too but here's what i really think it is because I, i've thought about this a lot uh first of all not breast milk adrenochrome uh, <laughs> and, licking his lips, <laughs> scared the shit out of kids, and then the adrenal gland of a ch- of a of a, uh, a yeah. frightened child. Yeah, he's just popping around the corner to scare his son, and then popping a straw <laughs> in his head like a Tropicana. Uh, <laughs> so no, but I think that his lawyers are just on retainer, and that these were billable hours. I don't think that I doubt he even heard okay. anything about it. You know, yeah. like he didn't hear anything about it until I was on ESPN talking about it. Because because you know what? Th- now I know he knows, but before yeah. only his lawyers did. I mean, I'll bet you his those those lawyers don't represent him after this. Well, who even knows? Who but knows? it seems to me that they were just trying to like be like, oh, here's an action item. Here's something that we can bill John Elway for. Uh, we're trying to bully a fucking dipshit punk band that plays in front of twenty five people. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, and then and then like we so it the story got picked up from punk news and then it was like associated press. I remember we were playing at the, uh, I can't remember. It was like cracker factory or breakfast and dessert or something in Philly was the, was, <laughs> which was the same place. Were they the same place? Yes. Yeah, two different names. Yep. Okay. Well that house we were playing there and, shout uh, yeah, dude. Shout out to the the PlayStation Two, the cat. You remember that cat? Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the bong that was called the Internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had logged on to the Internet that day, and uh, <laughs> the that was the day that like the story broke on like mainstream news or whatever. It was on Yahoo and like ESPN and all of this stuff, and I was Incredible. getting incredible bombarded with phone calls and uh and emails and shit and it was fucking hilarious like we literally played for like 20 people (laughs) it was like and i was like oh excuse me i have to go talk to the associated press about my band (laughs) incredible that's so fucking good man i love that uh i think that's a great time to take a break for a second okay so you found the email that you originally got sent. Uh, can, can, can you read it for the, for the record? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dear Mr. Brown, what, this is from, uh, it's got an official Greenberg Trarig law firm letterhead. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Dietrich, uh, telephone number 303-572-6502. Uh, he says, uh, Dear Mr. Brown, our firm represents John Elway in various corporate and personal matters. As you know, Mr. Elway has become aware of the use of his name, quote, Elway, unquote, uh, as the name of the band formerly known as 10 for Eleanor, for which you appear to be the front man. Uh, 
Please be advised that Mr. Elway's name is protected from appropriation and use by others under well-settled invasion of privacy and right of publicity law. As you can appreciate, Mr. Elway's name and identity have been have become recognized in Colorado and across the nation in association with his prior and current involvement with professional football and other business ventures. Mr. Elway's name and identity are valuable assets to him and have considerable commercial as well as reputational value. <laughs> Although we understand that, quote, attaching the name of a legendary Colorado quarterback to your punk band amused, unquote, you. Uh, this is with a with a quote from the switchboard sessions uh, that we I mean, I can't even remember what switchboard sessions was, but uh, Mr. Elway would <laughs> would prefer and is entitled to retain his legal rights to authorize commercial as well as entertainment uses of his name and the goodwill and re- uh, recognition created by its use. I mean, like we don't need to we don't need to uh, tease this all the way out. It's long. No, but, that, uh, but that's so fucking funny. There's so <laughs> many great elements of that. This guy did this, you know, like he researched you guys to the point where he was listening to and looking at interviews and so that he can quote you and say that it amused you. Uh, I got to say into, like, like your intent or whatever in line citations. Fun. So like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that is like uh like MLA format, but in line <laughs> citation is like, I mean, that's, that's AP pretty good. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, well, is it? I don't know. Whatever. Who who Love cares? It. But right, uh, so that's fucking hilarious. And on the subject of, we'll say logic and um, legality, you are currently you, you learned coding. Like you are literally a computer programmer, right? Yeah, I, I I went to school and I was living in Philly to become a software engineer, and that is what I do now. It's so fucking cool. Uh, I have so much respect for that. I find it to be a really fascinating uh, field of study and a and a, 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 a you know a career. And I it's so fascinating. So we went to recently. You drove Dave and myself and your fucking badass truck through Colorado, which was like the best experience ever to the Stanley hotel, uh, you know, famous location, the shining. We, you, you and Dave, who also Dave dabbles in programming. I know he went to a coding boot camp and has worked as a programmer. We're explaining a lot of the facets of programming to me because I don't really know anything. I'd messed around with visual basic when I was younger. Everybody who's our age has at least a little bit of familiarity with HTML from, you know, MySpace profiles and, and, and things like that. My question to you about the programming is, do you see an, any overarching connections between um, writing music and the formulaic nature of writing music, inevitable formulaic nature, and the programming work? Like, uh, do, is there room for expression? Is there like a, a way of starting to notice other things in your life that piece together in logical fashions? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I I sort of compartmentalize them a little bit. I think. Okay. Um, I I if you get down to the fundamentals of computer science, right? Which like we don't need to enumerate all of them here, right? But pillars of of computer science. Something that is a recurring theme is that things are logical. You could expect. You can expect, given the right amount of variable or right variables going into a way, uh, going into a function or an algorithm, one way, to expect the same result every single time. Yeah. Um, and there's something about that. Uh, there's something about that kind of extremely black and white binary logical thinking that I think is, uh, I don't know, interesting to contrapose with the 
nuanced the the nuanced way that art tends to be expressed you know sure. uh the, the the interesting thing is that they are different uh and and i don't know you kind of can hold both of them at arm's length and use kind of left brain right brain thinking to coalesce into something that is unique and i mean i don't really like that's the most i've ever spoken about it you know it's just some sort something that sort of happens you know because you can't just be like yeah, man i just felt a like highbrow notion about it like i wonder i might not be using the word modality correctly but it seems like uh, within the programming, the way that you were describing and explaining, you you're getting from you know point A to point B. What a weak ass analogy. I get it, but you you are trying to make something happen, and then you have to use the way that you build it and the way that it responds to different um, variables and parameters to get to that point. In the same way, with like the art, while it's usually unbridled, you're trying to relate an emotion or relate a situation or feeling or just do it for the sake of doing it but you still are limited by the tools that you have there so instead of using like a um certain programming language you're using the language laid out with the on a pedal board so you have those sounds that are available to you and like you plug and play those to try to get there yeah i mean also it's it's fertile grounds for conceptual things to write about you know i'm uh, I like you, you're like this too. Like I'm a, I'm a like, kind of like a lyrics forward songwriter. Sure. Um, I, and so I like to think about the eternal struggle between, you know, emotion and rationality or the, or like romance versus science or something like that, you know, or, yeah. you know, faith versus <laughs> rationality or whatever. Um, I think that you got to have, an understanding of both in order to speak with any authority on either. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to go a huge pivot here. You grew up in um, Colorado Springs, correct? And then went to Fort uh, college in Fort Collins. That's right. Yeah. So growing up in Colorado Springs next to fucking NORAD is like right there. Correct. So like, (sighs) so you grew up in Colorado, this beautiful wide open mountainous space. I think you're close to the 37th parallel. Who in your life has the best UFO story? Oh, you had to have known somebody. Oh, I mean, okay. So my, my parents, uh, they had a friend who lived in Manitou Springs Uh, and Manitou Springs is like West of Colorado Springs up against Mm -hmm. the mountains. And it's uh, close to NORAD. I I mean, it's a very cool place. That's where garden of the gods is, right? That's like, uh, yeah. Garden of the gods and cave of the winds and the, and the, the huge cliff dwelling uh, replica, Uh, like beautiful, beautiful city. Honestly, if you took away everything about Colorado Springs, it is a totally beautiful place. Um, but, uh, he was kind of a, he was kind of a, uh, a space cadet, so to speak, and he would come over, hang out with my with my folks, and uh, get real drunk. And I remember him talking about how him and his mom. He lived with his mom, and he was like in his fifties. Uh-huh. Um, him and his mom were doing the Manitou incline together, which is like a really steep hiking trail in Manitou. Okay, and uh, they were coming down, and it was getting dark, and they saw, and they saw like hovering orbs. Um. Whoa. above the above the valley there in Manitou. But I, honestly, that's the only UFO story I had grown up. No shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, at least you have you have that one back it. Yeah, I mean, listen, nobody in the entire world wants more than me to have a UFO story. <laughs> I but you know, unfortunately, I don't. Yeah, saying to myself, that's why people realize how much uh, I'm into UFOs and how many books I read about them. And then they always ask, like, well, have you ever seen a UFO? I'm always like, no. Uh, a bunch of my friends had seen a, a, you know, some kind of UAP situation one time right before they met up with me, which was like the worst fucking thing, you know, ever. But uh, to this day, I've never, never had it. Heard a lot of wild stories. You know, heard a lot of stories yeah. of people on like hikes. So people after a lot of beers on camping trips, um, you know, and obviously seeking out these kind of stories. It's. Yeah, love that shit. I'll tell but you this: this this is not necessarily a, a a UFO or UAP story, but I can tell you I was in Cortez, Colorado, after a friend's wedding and staying up with uh, with Drew Johnson, who stayed up real late into the night, and we were uh, we were getting real tanked in the backyard of this Airbnb that we were staying in in this huge like placid desert valley. I mean, it was like a really beautiful place. And, uh, we were sitting out in, uh, like lawn chairs and we had our phones out doing that thing where you could like Google sky map and like look at constellations and shit. Absolutely fantastic tool on the phone. I yeah. highly recommend that to anybody who is out there. There's a couple of them, uh, just look up sky map and it's, it's fucking really cool. Yeah. I use sky view light. It's my, it's my fave. Um, nice. but so we were looking at just looking at stars and stuff and just being like, hammered and then all of a sudden a, a what we assume was a shooting star flew right right over top of us and it was so fucking bright that it made the the nighttime daytime for like a full like two seconds damn um and it was so insane that you could like see all the way across the valley and see like detail in the rocks across the valley um so don't know if it was a UFO per se. I mean, I don't know that it was a meteor either. So then again, sure. I guess it is an unidentified aerial phenomenon. So pretty fucking cool thing to see. Uh, I was just every time that we go out there to visit, it's astounding to see how much of the sky that you can see. And at nighttime, you know, you know, outside of Colorado Springs, Fort Collins and Denver, when you're downtown, uh, it's just so wildly impressive. And the air is, has that little bit lack of humidity and it just seems like you can see all the stars and it's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a big reason why I moved back here. Yeah. Hell yeah. And speaking of, you told me while we were out there about, uh, how cool it was that your parents really prioritized bringing you to, uh, in your, and you know, the, the siblings to state parks or federal, sorry, national parks. Uh, so you to really get to soak that in and like, I guess it was really cool that you got to experience that early in life. And I wonder how that informed, you know, your worldview later. Cause for me yeah. personally, I didn't see anything like that until, uh, the first time that we went on a tour on the West coast, which I believe was in 2009 or 2010, I was like, uh, you know, 24 years old and we drove out to the West coast and we were like, wait, what? Like this is, this mountain is fucking crazy. Like there's a, uh, you know, all these different types of climate that exist and the sky is so big and never thought anything could be that huge. I wonder how that, uh, you know, shaped the way that you guys write songs now and like the, way, what, the person that you've become. I mean, it definitely does. When, I mean, when I was a kid, I don't think that I really appreciated the, the gravity of what my parents were trying to instill in us, you know, like a reverence for the national, for the, uh, for the natural world, which I, I, I mean, I saw, almost all of the national parks west of the Mississippi, like all the good ones, you know? Uh, and 
I I could distinctly remember being like, whatever, I want to play Sega Genesis, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and of being course. like, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm way more interested in way more interested in Sonic the Hedgehog than I am in the second largest canyon in the whole fucking solar system, Dude. you know, like I I, I yeah, but so returning to these places as an adult though i i have way more of a reverence and then i remember more than i gave myself credit for as well um about all of these places and and i've gotten to a point in my life where i having some kind of like repose and time to appreciate nature is very important to me. It's, I, I mean, super important to me uh, yeah. to the point where when I'm deprived of it, I go like stir crazy. And uh, one of the great things about living in Colorado is that you can, uh, it's not very difficult to get to a place where you can fear, feel that like reverence for nature or whatever. Absolutely. It kicks back to that thing I mentioned before about people, you know, moving back to their hometown or being there and not leaving at all. I've realized over time how crucial it is to be exposed to the earth in that way and not just be in the concrete jungle the entire time. Um, and just to like reset or calm down. It's, it's really fucking incredible. And the older that I get, the more I need that. So I need to go hiking once in a while. I mean, then my hiking, as we've joked, is a, a, a little bit different than, you know, the hike <laughs> that you took me and Dave on up to a fire tower, which anybody uh, who's not familiar with fire towers, it's one of the coolest concepts uh, there is. And I've become obsessed with them over the last couple of years. And I can't wait to go, go hang out. Basically, there's different uh, government bodies use these giant towers and basically a person or people just sit in it all day. And just look for fires. And if there's a fire, they call somebody or they do the, whatever action that is there for it. But besides that, you're just living completely secluded in the woods up in a giant tower looking over everything. And I think it's just like a such a cool romantic uh, idea. Yeah. Uh, we So after we hiked up to that fire tower, I took a look at uh, what it takes to actually rent it out for a weekend. Yeah. Um, and, and it's free. You like you just have to basically you know quote unquote work while you're there, and yeah. but they're booked out like two years in advance because people love it so much. It's, wow, uh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to drink. Wow, well, who um, would have thought somebody whose job it is to? Look I mean, out I've for... that's kind of seen... like the lighthouse thing, though. You think like lighthouse guys aren't fucking hammered all the time? Yeah, I mean, shit. You think fucking truck drivers aren't hammered all the time. I mean, like, like seriously, like airplane pilots are probably hammered all the time. It's, yeah, exactly. it's, you know, I, but you know, so I, I would, I would give it the respect it's due, but you know what? I've seen fire before. I've seen fire when I was drunk. I've been responsible for starting fires on accident when I was drunk. There you go. Uh, Have you ever put I out can, a fire while you're drunk? Holy shit. Okay. So yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we were camping up in the, uh, Roosevelt national forest and, in Colorado and it was August and we, and so it was hot as fuck during the day, but we were up at like 10,000 feet Jeez. and at night it was, it got, it got cold. I mean, it was, it was real cold. And I remember us like just running out of firewood. It was like two in the morning. It was like about time to go to bed anyhow. Then, but we we're like, all right, well let's just throw, let's just throw some of the like smaller shit that we took off of the like bigger pieces on the fire. Once that burns out, we'll go to bed. Yeah. Uh, Some of the small shit that got pulled off was a, uh, like a, a a sizable collection of small branches with dry pine needles on them. 
mm-hmm. uh, threw them on the campfire and then it just uh, like, like a huge towering <laughs> place and there's like a like a tree hanging over our uh campsite and uh just sending sparks straight up into the street if like the tree caught on fire that's it we just started a forest fire um and uh fortunately though <laughs> we managed to prevent it from happening and uh have since been <laughs> have since been good stewards of the land and extremely conservative i mean like i was you know I, I had very little idea what I was doing at the time and uh, a little something of an idea now. Yeah. Thank God. We had uh, the first time that we, like I mentioned before, had seen anything out West was going to tour with Broadway calls on the West coast in 2009 or 2010. I think it was 2009, but we stopped in Yellowstone. Uh, and this is, you know, f- f- five guys from, or six, what, how many of us there were from Scranton grew, grew up in Scranton. We'd been living in Philadelphia for a couple of years um, or had actually, I think maybe just moved to Philadelphia. We were there for like two or three years and knew not like I was a boy scout when I was younger, when I was like 12, but we had no fucking clue. We went camping in Yellowstone, a actual wild, not like a, you know, Pennsylvania state park, Pennsylvania state parks are fucking beautiful, but they are not the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. And, uh, we stopped at like a Walmart and bought a couple of things. We were like, okay, well we have some money. We'll buy a tent. And we'll buy this other shit and we go and we get a campsite at Yellowstone and there are elk that are like several, you know, 400 pounds walking through the campsite. We're all freaking out. We uh, had taken mushrooms and stumbled upon a wolf den, which was super fucking weird. But we get back and there's like, you know, we're obviously raging. We we're like, oh, my God, we we're old enough to drink. We we're like hanging out in this national park. This is so fucking cool. And we had a fire and then we put it out. And there was no cell phone service. And we were like, okay, we got to go like do some checking up. No one has heard from us in two or three days. No one, any family members know where we are. So we were going to drive to Montana. We drove to Montana, which was, you know, I don't know, like a, I'm going to guess a 40 minute drive. And we charged our cell phones, got some connection, came back. And then there was a, um, a federal, like what are those guys, a ranger who came up and was like, all right, who's Tom? And I was like, fuck, that's me. He's like, come here. And he brings me over to his car and he gives me a federal class B misdemeanor because he went over to, I think it was punishment for partying, but he went over to the campfire and like dug down through the ashes. And there was like a smoldering ember and he was like, you're getting fined. So he gave us like, you know, a several hundred dollar fine. Um, which really fucking blew. But since then, I go back to the Boy Scout way and I dump so much fucking water on every goddamn fire and really like dig it out to make sure that we don't cause, uh, you know, like the terrible things that happen in California with people with their baby reveals and all that shit. Yeah. Or, yeah, shit. Or, or Colorado, man. I mean, like, we had yeah. the most destructive wildfire in Colorado history on December 30th of last year. No shit. Damn. Yeah. Because I remember there was remnants from fire as well. We were there in October. They were talking about, uh, you know, certain places that you could go, couldn't go. We saw some damage from the fires. That was fucking wild. Yeah. I mean, there the the Cameron Peak fire was um, not la- not 2021, but 2020. And it was the largest wildfire by land side, by like the amount of land it burned in the history of Colorado. No then, shit. Just last year, on December 30th, uh, a fire caught just outside of Boulder, Colorado, uh, and uh, burned down something like 600 houses um, and was the most destructive in terms of property destroyed uh, and damages caused in the history of Colorado. 
Here's a question for you regarding the the wildfires. You may have an answer. You may not. Uh, I know that there are records of different um, indigenous people, Native Americans, uh, that set intentionally firefighters. I know that. Uh, sorry, wildfires. Uh, in Pennsylvania, I know that the Game Commission and the you know wildlife management um, state organizations intentionally set fires to clear ground brush. I guess to stop like big ones. And you figure even if humans weren't there. The wildfires are happening. So the narrative usually that like I used to think about it was like, oh, humans are starting these wildfires and destroying wildlife. But is is that the case? Is is that or is it part of it like people are moving to places that just burn all the time and they like shouldn't move there? Or is it what you know, what's 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 the narrative for you guys in, in Colorado? It's a, I mean, it's a perfect storm of a lot of things. I mean, the, the forest service does prescribed burns all of the time in Colorado to clear out underbrush and sure. uh, things like that. But um I mean, this last fire in De- December 30th fire, the I can't, I can't remember what the name of the street was called, uh, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Named after a road south of Boulder. But uh, this was caused by a by high winds and dry conditions. Okay. And uh, a, a transformer blew after a power line was blown So up. humans, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the humans... But also the larger issue being that Colorado is a semi-arid, like the front range of Colorado where Denver is, is a semi-arid climate. And uh, there's only so much water. And for this state to have gone from like 1.2 million people to like five and a half million people in the course of, you know, 25 years is... Uh, a lot of growing pains and a lot of a lot of these like identical cookie cutter housing developments need a shit ton of water yeah. and uh and the climate's definitely not getting any cooler nor <laughs> is it raining anymore here and so all of that aggregated into uh, alongside the like hubris of humans in general to just toy with nature uh we're we're seeing more and more destructive wildfires and like a longer wildfire season every year. And, um, you know, on top of that, the, like a forest service that is underfunded and, and not able to, not able to actually do what, what it is they do best to prevent this from happening. And then on top of that, Tom, I actually living in Colorado, you wind up with a lot of, you will wind up with a lot of, uh, wildfire talk. Another thing about it is just that we, uh, we were just, told for the longest time that no matter what wildfires are bad yeah and we so that's allowed what I was getting at was I, I i thought that when i was younger you know like the Smokey the bear kind of narrative and growing up in pennsylvania we don't you know we'll have there's forest fires and there's certainly you know in philadelphia there's housing fires and, and gas explosions and, and all the kind of like anything you can imagine of the destruction of of that kind of energy in nature but forest fires are not a fucking thing here like the sky's never dark there's never like um, houses that are at risk of being destroyed by by by, by forest fires could be eating my words. Maybe it happens in in the more rural areas more frequently than I think it does, but it's not something that we talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a lot uh, it's a lot more humid there. Yes. I mean, it, it's yes, so it, humid. It, I mean, Colorado is a tinderbox during the summer, and so mm-hmm. and so is northern Northern California and Oregon and Washington, and uh, just like arid climates and then also washington and oregon northern california and colorado are are 
extremely desirable locations for people to live these days. Sure. And the more people that live here, the more power lines need to get built, the less water is like flowing naturally down a river that is able to evapotranspirate and make the air more warm, more humid, you know. And before yeah. you know it, you've got all of the conditions for a lot of lands to just go up in flames. Jesus Christ. It's a horrifying proposition. Uh, and while we're on the sprawl and the, the hubris of humanity, I, uh, so you and myself as touring people, we've got to see for how long that we've been touring, we've gotten to see how areas of the United States and of the world change along with technology or how trends of people moving to certain places have changed. Like, um, you know, the, the running joke is that the, early touring and a lot of touring is you are always playing in like a rundown part of town because that's where you're allowed to be really loud. And that's where it's inexpensive for the people who own the club to have you play there. And then over the last 15 years of touring, you notice that those, uh, God awful box, like same cookie cutter architecture that's found in every city now for rapid high rise development. It pops up around the venue and the venue has to fight over whether or not they could be open, blah, 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 blah. But of, of all the places in the country, we've seen some places change so fucking fast. And you're in Denver, and Denver is one of the places that I've seen change insanely fast over the last five years. Accelerated by the pandemic, accelerated by people moving there from California and Texas. But when we first started playing Denver, it did not look like Denver does now. And you could tell because when you drive in, there's fucking cranes everywhere. And there's only so many cranes that are that big in the entire country. So places like Denver, Nashville. Austin that we saw uh, completely explode over the years. It's it's, it's like a really crazy, fast paced um, logistical thing in those regards, but also culturally, it seems like it changes really fast. How's it? How have you noticed Denver changing the last couple of years? I mean, <clears throat> the job's almost done in Denver. The gentrification job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's pretty disgusting. A lot of co- uh, companies like Foursquare and Slack um, and and uh, oh god, I can't remember the name of the other one. But a bunch of big tech companies moved into Denver, right? Sure. And um, they have they have like you know at the same time, if I was going to move somewhere, Denver would be very high on the list of anywhere in the country that I would want to move to. I, I mean, understand it, that a lot of the things that made me excited to move there are changed because of the fact that everybody already moved there. Like uh, you know, housing is extremely expensive. Like uh, th- those kinds of things. But oh, it's yeah. just, you know, it, it's a beautiful place. But it's like you were saying, sorry to cut you off, it's been changed so much. Yeah. the I mean, basically, people with a lot of money moved in. And uh, that enticed other, like, companies to move in because there's a lot of people with a lot of tech talent, hashtag, mm. uh, that, that moved here. And then that inspires property developers to want to develop uh, – in uh in denver and then that drives up housing prices and then before you know it they go to the neighborhoods where housing is cheap and available so the neighborhoods that latino people have lived in or african-americans have lived in for generations and they buy up all the housing renovate it and then sell it for a profit meanwhile all these people have to fuck off to the suburbs and drive into the city so they can work their jobs and i mean it gets more denver gets more and more uh milk toast and lame with each passing day. And it, it, it is, it's a backhanded it's, insult to call it milk toast. I'll, I'll well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, man, because like, uh, I mean, 
Denver is a, a city like rich in cultural history, especially oh for Latino the signs, people. Man, think about the signs of the businesses. Like, uh, so it's still it was the fucking Wild West. So you have a lot of you know for somebody who, who didn't grow up there. When we go there, there's the amount of space is incredible. The streets are so big. Uh, the buildings are usually really big. There's a lot of big room in and uh, dive barns, but the just the signs and the little subtle like people wearing fucking cowboy hats and shit. It's just yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's I mean, but more than just the history of like settlers and yeah. colonial like colonial history. I mean, there's a lot of Latino history and a lot of native history in sure. Denver. And and uh do you know okay, for example, the first Thai restaurant in the United States right here in Denver, Colorado. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I just learned I mean, something fucking crazy about Thai restaurants. Actually, that's not that that was like super fascinating. You know how there's like a green Thai basil, some combination of that name, and basically every city in the United States. So it sure. turns out the Thai government uh, is basically franchising Thai restaurants all over the world. So they'll uh, help finance at a low interest rate somebody who wants to open a Thai restaurant, like a Thai citizen, and then they give them like a catalog that has all of the furniture that you can use in the place made in Thailand. And then they hooked them up with food uh, distribution companies, networks, and recipes all from Thailand. Like it's the the highest uh, share of business owner, like expatriate business owners. It's pretty fucking. Huh. That's yeah. I mean that's that's a good way of like uh, it's like a transpermia of your culture across the world, right? Totally. It's like the actual practical thing of the CIA p- buying Jackson Pollock paintings or whatever. <laughs> 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 like CIA literally being responsible for the doors. Have you ever heard about that one? <laughs> no, damn. Uh, well, about that. but sorry, you yeah. were talking about the, the Latino native uh, history of, of, of Colorado. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I mean, okay. So Colorado rightly gets a reputation for being a state chock full of like Patagonia clad white people wearing toe shoes um it's and driving true. a subaru you know yeah. i mean like it's there there is something maybe to not that. as bad Dude as washington me. but yeah it's- oh it's all the same shit they're all listening to fish and and they're all fucking like <laughs> being being adult human beings who believe in astrology it's i mean it's it's Dude, all that's my fucking favorite when you talk to somebody who's uh you know has like one of those signs in front of their house that says like in this house we believe in science and like whatever all that kind of shit but then the <laughs> Like, oh, that's such a Capricorn thing to do. And you're like, wait, what? Did you yeah, just- but follow the science unless it comes to taking accountability for your own actions. And that in, in which case you yeah. you talk to the stars for that. Um but anyway, okay, so I think that it's a form of like cultural and racial like erasure to say that Colorado is a state chock full of white people because according to census data in the in Colorado, I mean this state is 40% Latino. I mean, it is, it is, it is like not a white person state. It's just the, that's the reputation that the state gets because so much money has been dumped into turning Denver into this like homogenized, like uh, white person Wakanda Mm -hmm. that uh, (laughs) a, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of like really important things that made Colorado the state that it is are being like left to the wayside and forced out into the suburbs and into small towns, um, which uh, is a fucking bummer, yeah. honestly. And I, like, for example, I, I really do believe that Colorado has some of the best Mexican food in the entire world. You know, that's on my and, list of questions to talk to you about is your, your uh, absolute 
I don't know, master. Well, I don't say mastery, you know, not make you have to humble yourself, but your appreciation for the green chili and the Colorado Mexican food. I will attest that my favorite Mexican food I've had in the country is in uh, New Mexico and Colorado. Like the, you know, the whole shit is so fucking good. It's like what you say about like uh, the, uh, you know, Latino and uh, native community in Colorado. When we had gone West, another, you know, just example of this. I had so I'd known uh, kids of native descent um, on the East Coast growing up, but you know, not like from reservations or from like you know live in uh, culturally and look native. Like I never really knew we knew kids who had you know uh, some connections to um, their family's heritage in that regard. But when we went out west and we stopped and and it was either you know Colorado or Wyoming on the way to the West Coast where we actually met native people at like a Walmart, it was a culture shock. Well, that no, wasn't a culture shock, but it was like the first time that I'd ever met someone like that. And it was, uh, you know, really interesting to realize that, uh, there are still a ton of native people in the United States that, you know, what we've seen through pop culture and as we've seen through, uh, them telling their stories and literature and TV shows and shit like that. But it was, you know, it was weird. And then you go to a place where everyone's native except you. And you're like, okay, th- this part of the America actually still exists and does exist. You know, yeah, I mean, and it's it's a little bit easier to find out West for some reason that I suspect has something to do with President Andrew Jackson. Yeah, I wonder how that happened. That's it. Yeah, and and it's crazy to see the way that history is like rippled through time. Like the the, the effects of that has rippled through history. You know, because yeah. you'll see you'll see like I mean an incredible amount of poverty that is the result of decisions made by white people just trying to have a nice place for themselves which sure. is you know yeah. what what denver is ostensibly doing you know i yeah. i mean uh i don't know so yes denver's changed you know and it's not just like oh man the the dive bar where i used to be able to get a dollar 50 like high life is now like three dollars it's literally yeah. people are losing their ability to sustain to make a living and they're having to leave the place that they're from and, and uh it's interesting like one of the things is you mentioned about trying to supply all these people with water and power um which you know where we're from on the east coast you don't really think about very often because it's like okay well the water comes from the dam further up like the power comes from the atomic plant so x far away like the, all the land has been used by native and uh, uh you know uh colonizer uh colonists for forever so it's super old like the house that i live in is like 150 years old or whatever 120 years old and you don't realize that like the infrastructure needs to be put in these places that are expanding so fucking fast that it's unfathomable like you said in the last you know 10 or 20 years it went from 1 million to 5 million like that's fucking crazy yeah it's 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 wild colorado's got really bad growing pains uh and um i mean we'll be all right because there's a lot of fucking money here but (laughs) The the thing that the thing that isn't going to be all right is like, you know, the things that made Denver what it was, which is like a city that was at one point like half Latino and uh, and, you know, a place where it wasn't just a bunch of people listening to Dave Matthews bands driving around in their fucking Jeep with a life is good, like tire cover on the back of it, you know, but, um, you know, here we are. Here we are. Still a beautiful place, though. It's fucking gorgeous. So now that we've uh, you know talked the shit and took the shit, what what are you optimistic about? Yeah, what am I optimistic? This new record? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to put this record out. I mean, it's it's been like the 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 aggregate of like 
an entire pandemic's worth of like work and collaboration um, between uh, me and the guys in the band and uh, the people who did all the album art and stuff. And I, it's just a really uh, important record uh, for me because I really do just stand behind it and back it so fucking hard. I'm very oh, optimistic yes. about that. That's absolutely fantastic. Speaking of the album art, uh, while we were talking about the hubris of man and the, <laughs> uh, you know, different ways we find that rapid expansion in these cities to be such a horrible thing. There are themes uh, of the album artwork. You have kind of like a people worshiping a windowless temple, some clothes, some not. You have a mythical beast and uh, people in flames and there's a, a like a death kind of feature. What, uh, what, what was the process of getting the album artwork together like? Uh, well, so the guy who did that art is the same guy who did the delusions artwork and the um, uh, for the sake of the bit artwork. His name's Josh House, longtime collaborator and one of my very favorite artists on the earth. Um, oh, yeah. I kind I, I just kind of get I sent him a message talking about what the like overarching theme of the record was, which the record is um, called the best of all possible worlds. It's. Mm-hmm from Candide from uh, Voltaire uh, and kind of deals with the supposition that because this is the only world that we know of to exist and uh, we can't conceptualize another world existing because we have no evidence that it does, that this has to be therefore the best of all possible worlds. And uh, what does that statement actually mean? Um, is uh, is the world a good place? Are are we good stewards of the world that we are given? And do we do right by ourselves, by our friends and family, by the creatures that we inhabit this planet with? Um, and uh, I, you know, it's it's a complicated question uh, because the answer is both yes and no. <laughs> and uh, and is there reason to be optimistic? Have we given ourselves reason to be optimistic? Well, from the hip, you, you're my my initial my initial impulse was to be like, no, right? But Which absolutely not. Also, maybe I can stop you for a second. The, that impulse to say no. Do you think that that idea, not you know, it's not full on contrarianism, but it is like uh, flirts with a, a nihilistic worldview that maybe is what attracted us to punk rock in the first place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that you might be onto something. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, uh, so it, you but, also uh, killed my later question where, uh, my joke question about the best of all possible worlds, me taking that and spinning it into a way to make fun of you for being a communist. <laughs> oh yeah. We, we, we can get into that. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. Nihilism as prescribed by punk rock music and culture is extremely cheap. We all, we know so this. Cheap. We've been, yeah. we've been at it for a long time. It's and adolescent. So, it's like a really, you know, it's like a, not, not much for, yeah, exactly. So, but to, so to be able to, to be able to like stand and look at the world and be like from a, from a place of extreme privilege, uh, to be like, yeah, I mean, it's all fucked is, uh, (laughs) is, is like, okay, well you are, you are right about that. Uh, but only on the most cursory surface level possible way. And you're not actually thinking about what a wonder it is that you exist at a time in human history where you could even be on the internet bitching about that and everything that it took and the, the, the giant's shoulders that you have to stand on just so you can, you know, 
portend and like like posture and say that you're that you have a one up on the entire universe you already know that it's all fucked up and that there's no hope and that this is the best of all possible worlds so it's a cheap grab for power in a way as well you know it's like i have the right view i'm like you know this is so easy all i have to do is disagree with everything or working for working to make the world a better place is a is like Herculean task. And I'd rather just sit back and talk shit than actually oh, do that's anything. The, that's the real point. That's like the, you know you you're, you're kind of copping out. You don't you know you could go volunteer somewhere, but instead you'd rather uh, uh, complain a bitch about it on the internet and you know make that part of your personality. Right, and I and I think that uh, my worldview ultimately is that um, the world is the world is uh, actually. A, a, a good place for the, for the most part that the re- the reason why this world is the best of all possible worlds. And you can say that with a churlish sort of optimism is because human beings have worked together for since time immemorial to make it a better place yeah. uh, by creating art or by collaborating on, I mean, scientific advances or community advances, literature. And, and I mean, there's a lot of things. Twelve to be- guys to get together to chase down a woolly mammoth until it can't run anymore, and then kill it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like our 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 collaboration with one another and the and the things that that has allowed us to create is why ultimately your worldview should be a positive one. Though there's lots of fucking bullshit to sift through, which is yeah. sort of what the the impetus was for the concept behind the record or whatever. And I, I just gave Josh free reign to draw whatever it was he wanted. And that's what he drew. That's incredible. And he fucking killed it. And I'm really glad that we got to uh, talk about this. I think that these are the things that are the most worth thinking about and writing about Uh, these ideas of, you know, not necessarily like the meaning of life, but what it means to be with other people, the social part of it, like, you know, love is arguably the reason to be able to do these things or to, the reason to do these things. Um, so there's a lot of optimism there uh, that is in this record compared to other things that you guys have written. Did you do you like consciously make that or do you feel like this is um, the time in your life where you're starting to realize that? Or what do you think? I, oh, man, I don't or know. You're not, I mean, obviously, you're probably not sure. Yeah. I think that I think that a lot of this came from over the course of the pandemic, man, I was really like uh listless and rudderless you know just without any sort of motivation for for the like the first like three months you know and uh just not really sure what and and feeling like defeatist about the world you know how could how could you not look at the way that is like nakedly falling apart before our eyes (laughs) and uh and um i think that over the course of like just having really prolonged discussions with some of my best friends and uh, being pretty liberal about the amount of like entheogens and hallucinogens that I was taking. That's what the, where I, I was hoping that this uh, conversation was going to end. So I was hoping we'd get to the point where we could talk about uh, psychedelics and, you know, your experiences and understanding my experiences, understanding and how that informed this worldview that you're talking about on this record, which I think is absolutely positive. But yeah, you're talking about, Entheogens, like that word, it's perfect for it. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's, it's, I was, I was doing Tom. I was doing drugs. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, experimenting with uh, LSD and mushrooms and uh, and DMT 
Yeah. And um, whatever, trying to uh, expand my mind, man, you know, yeah. and uh, trying to trying to like here's, grasp with here's the stop you real quick. Do you think it expands your mind and how? I don't think it expands your mind. I think that it allows parts of your brain that you don't use in your normal, like waking hours. It allows parts of those brains to parts of those parts of your brain to be active. Absolutely. I totally agree. One way I like to describe it is you um, are able to alter your perception so that you can have different emotional attachments to facts that come around. You know, you can look at yourself in a completely different way. You get to experience life in in a completely different way, you know, like not to be like, yeah, bro, dropping acid all day, you know, like n- not that kind of shit, but I'm saying, and not to gatekeep either, not to be like, there's only one way to do mushrooms and this is the dose. Fuck that. But I do feel like, uh, I've been able to use those tools, you know, uh, to be able to look at my life in a way and open up my mind to other possibilities and specifically the social part. Like y- you kind of realize the connections that you can have with people that don't exist, uh, when you're like, you know, oppositional to them all the time. Right. And okay. So here, here's the, here's the through line, right? Here's the, here's the thread that'll tie it all together. Yeah. Um, something that I, something that I, a thought I always return to, um, when coming down off of hallucinogens, right. Is that Mm -hmm. the, the happenstance of our existence here on planet earth at this time, right. Is, entirely without meaning and accidental right it's it's, it 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 literally means nothing that we're here on paper like the universe doesn't yeah it could be you can't prove it any other way you don't have we don't have the information yet yeah the the universe doesn't care and 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 my my uh constituent matter will be redistributed (laughs) throughout the universe when i die right and i'll be dead for much longer than i was ever alive you know (laughs) so like You're it's dead a, it, for much longer than before you were born. I love that idea of constituent matter. That's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's like I borrowed pieces of the universe so that I could, yeah, so that I could Thank understand that I exist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Thank you, dead it, star, for this fucking wart on my finger. Yeah, yeah, f- yeah. Thank you for colon cancer. It's really great. <laughs> but, but I mean, so it could like it's a bleak thought on its surface, right? It's easy to take that information and be like, oh, it means nothing, right? Yeah. Uh, it mean like, oh, well, nothing means anything, so I might as well be a nihilist asshole and not do anything to help anybody or create anything in my life. There are plenty of people like that. Oh, of um, They're usually but- like seventeen and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yeah, good for at sure. talking to the opposite sex in the casualties, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but here's the thing: like, it, it's as a matter of like, I don't know, semantics. The fact that it means absolutely nothing um, also means that every single every single moment you're able to observe is imbued with its own meaning. It's like the best of all possible worlds. There are no other possible worlds. There is this world, and therefore it is the best one. Um, it means absolutely nothing that we're here. Ergo, it means so much that we're here because this is it. This is it. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, it's not, it wasn't the drugs that allowed me to like have this perspective. It's the, it, but I definitely like, was able to tease out the way that I feel about it a whole lot more because of it. It's a great way to put it. Able to tease out the way you feel about it. Uh, given the tools and the perspective to be able to change using the, using the entheogens. 
Yes. Usually you have the D agents. word. Yeah. I actually have a, a one of my biggest regrets still is not um, <clears throat> going on a DMT uh, trip while we were out in Colorado because I knew that we would be able to make it happen. I still have not done it. I was like the last person in a rotation one time when we were passing around DMT and I had smoked it and nothing happened. Um, but still that's the, that's the one that I've been a little bit more nervous about because of the lore around it, you know, but, uh, I can't, yeah, I'm really excited to try it. I'll tell you what, there's like a, a, a funny aside instead of like trying to be heady about hallucinogens, which like I could do that, but who wants to listen to two white guys get heady about hallucinogens on a podcast? You know, yeah, I mean, it's I been done to all the time, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, suffice it to say, uh, my life is different and in a lot of ways better because of it. And we can leave it at that. But with, yeah. with, with DMT specifically, just the hilarity of the, of like being scared of taking it the first time that I was given some, I was like looking on Google, you know, like incognito tab. Uh, how do I, how do I smoke DMT, you know? And like finding out like, okay, well the easiest way to do it is to get like a crack pipe, like an oil burning pipe, put it in there and like hold a torch to it and like vaporize it. Cause if you put too you much light like, bulb, <laughs> yeah, a light bulb or well, or a de facto light bulb that you get from the fucking corner store. Ah, true, uh, I forgot you could just get it from the corner store. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so me and Garrett uh, Garrett Carve, uh, the former drummer of Elway, were sitting around with a baggie of DMT, and we're like, "All right, let's go buy a crack pipe." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, like, go to the corner store uh, or a head shop, and we're like, "Yeah, do you guys have a pipe that's like, it's like, ju- it's like, it doesn't have a carb, it's just like a enclosed, like yeah. the guys like, like a." oil burning pipe i was like that's what you call it right an oil burning <laughs> pipe i'll have one of those please and like you know yeah. this is like in that's a part so funny of i wonder if they still do that for anybody listening who doesn't know when you used to go to a head shop there would be a like so there was one in scranton that had a list of words when you walked in and like the vestibule that you couldn't say inside of the head shop and they were like bowl bong um chillum maybe but there's like a whole list of ones that were like you know drug talk even though they were clearly just selling marijuana paraphernalia, that's yeah. where all of their money came from. Yeah, you got to uh, say water pipe. You can't say you bong. Say water yeah. pipe. But I mean, like, I could have fully walked in. So, like, this head shop is in a neighborhood of Denver where I could have just walked in and be like, "Let me get a crack pipe." Yeah, and, and then the guy right here. here, yeah. But like, I, I mean, like, just this fucking kid who like grew up in a fucking like in a suburb who is just so. I mean, I just I was like. Walk in, I was like, can I have a, uh, you know, like the glass the it's, it does not for weed or whatever oil burning pipe. That's what you need to ask. Uh, ask for. Thank you for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just scared shitless. And then came back to my house and like proceeded to just experiment with DMT for like four hours until we finally figured out how to do it properly. <laughs> uh, which is to throw the crack pipe away and break it so that if your neighbor looks in your trash, he doesn't think you're smoking crack and uh, <laughs> buy a vape. Ah, <laughs> and then, there you go. Yeah. And then put it in a vape instead. And, uh, yeah. and then we did it. And you know what? Um, it is much, you're taking a much more of a gamble when you, when you drop acid than when you're vaping DMT. I'll tell you that much. Damn. Okay. Well, that makes me feel much better about trying DMT, uh, which I know I eventually will. But uh, Tim, this has been an incredible time talking and an incredible time to te- uh, catch up. Thank you so much for these stories. Um, oh, I'm yeah. so excited uh, for the new record to come out. Uh, when's the release date? April 1st. April 1st. There it is. April Fool's Day. We got it. Uh, comes out on Red Scare. 
we are, you know, our old label mates. Uh, you can pre-order it on your guys' website. I will put links to everything in the show notes and give a little preamble in the beginning of the episode. Uh, and right now, the most recent single is the English Wishbone. Yeah. No, the most recent single is Maximum Entropy. Nice. Came, Hell yeah. Just came out last Thursday. Fantastic. So you can listen to that wherever you stream your music. Uh, you've got somewhere that you do it. You can also, we just found out, you will be on tour on the East Coast in July, which is going to be fucking fantastic with uh, The Holy Mess. And the beginning of my bachelor party is going to be at the Philadelphia show at Kung Fu Necktie. Um, cannot fucking wait. Yeah. yeah, man. Hopefully, Thank you so much. Ho- and I can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate Hell it. Hell yeah, brother. Fuck yeah. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out Elway's links in the show notes, right to their, uh, the old link tree. Uh, the intro song is Not the Only One by The Chisel. And the outro song is by the one and only Queen Jesus. We'll see you next time. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.